and you're listening to a sermon from Bent Tree Church in Loveland, Colorado. For more information about Bent Tree, visit BentTreeChurch.com. All right, guys. Well, that said, let us dive into our text for the day. We ain't, we ain't holding anything back. We're going straight into it. That's what we're here for, um, to hear the Word of God preached. So would you open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 1? 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Um, and I know I all just told you to sit down, but would you guys now stand with me in reverence of God's Word as we read our passage for the day? So go ahead and stand up. I'll read it out loud. You guys can just follow along. We'll have it up here on the screen. This comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and I'm going to take verse 8 through verse 11. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Um, You can take your seats now and let's go ahead and pray. Dear Lord, uh, we just want to thank you for today. Uh, We thank you for your presence that walks alongside us as we go through the valley of the shadow of death. And we thank you, Lord, for never leaving us and never forsaking us. We thank you for hearing our prayers, for guiding us as we look to you, and for drawing near to us as we draw near to you. So we pray now that you'd speak to us through your word today. Your perfect love would cast out any fears or anxieties or worries within us, and that we would be still. That we would be still today and still enough to hear your still small voice. So come and speak to us. We're ready to do whatever you say. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, So, question here How do you respond to crisis? Seriously, I want you to take a second right now and think. What's your way of responding to tragedy, to heartbreak, um, to crises as they arise in your life? This is what I want to talk about today, crisis, and how we respond to it. Now, I prepared this sermon a while back. I've kept it in my back pocket for just such a time as this when I'd be uh, called upon to get up here and uh, preach without much prep at all, Um, and I wanted to be ready. For such a time as this. In fact, that's, that's my way of preparing for crisis. Is, uh, that's my way of responding to crisis, I should say, is being prepared for it. Um, it's interesting, if you saw the slides on our screen before service, we have a Bible reading plan as a church, and we've been reading uh, about Esther this week, who was prepared for such a time as this, right? Um, her moment came, and she responded to crisis beautifully. And that's, that's usually my, my typical, like my de facto way of handling crisis is making sure I'm ready for it so it ain't a crisis, right? Um, I, I try to make sure I thought through every possible contingency that I've gone through every single hypothetical in my head. Um, for those of you guys who don't know, we have a security team. We don't have them wear uniforms, but they're out there, so watch out. Um, but here's the deal. What's their job? They think through every single contingency and hypothetical, right? Because they're ready to respond to crisis. Um, they've got a plan in place 
for when the poo hits the shoe. I don't know if that's what they say. In fact, the last service told me that's just something you made up, Jeff, but um, I would love for that to catch on, okay? So it's pretty fetch. All right. How do you respond to crisis? And perhaps it's a better question to ask this. How does God want you to respond to crisis? I heard somewhere that the Chinese character for crisis is actually a combination of two characters. It's the combination of their character for fear and uh, their, their character for opportunity. That is, crisis is a combination of those two characters, fear and opportunity. And that's interesting to think about because Perhaps inherent to every crisis we come across is, are these two dynamics, fear and opportunity. So in my sermon today, I just want to posit this, that we all have a decision to make when we're faced with crisis. We can respond with fear, or we can see crisis as an opportunity. So here's how I want to structure the talk for the day. For those of you who want to know where I'm going Here's how I'm going to do it. Uh, I'm going to dive into the nature of fear. I want to talk about how the Bible, uh, what the Bible has to say about fear, what Jesus specifically says about fear. And I want to look at how fear keeps us from living the life we want. And then I want to look at the opportunity that God gives us in the midst of crisis, in the midst of fear. Does that sound good to you guys? Can we do that? All right, let's go ahead and dive in. Um, so talking about fear, you know, I've never really seen myself as a guy that's driven much by fear. Like, uh, if I was cool, I would have had one of those no fear stickers on the back of my pickup, but I didn't have a pickup. I had a Buick. Um, and, and, and no fear, those are usually the guys I was afraid of in, in high school. But anyway, don't get me wrong. Um, when I say I'm not driven by fear, there are things that, like, um, kind of rub me the wrong way. Like, I hate going down in the window wells of my house, and whenever, like, a stick, like, brushes up against the back of my leg, like... I know it's a deadly snake that's coming for me, right? Um, but, but seriously, I am not afraid of much in the typical sense. Like, I'm not afraid of heights. Like, I, they don't do anything for me. Um, I'm not afraid of clowns or, or cotton balls. I don't know. I've heard people are afraid of that. But if I had to pick one thing that I was afraid of, uh, I would say that I, I'm afraid of being naked in front of people. And, and actually, you're like, that's awkward. I'm actually more afraid for you if I were naked in front of you. That's, that's really what my fear is based out of. You laugh too hard. That's rude. All right. Um, It's okay, I laugh like that too. Um, Fear is something that I usually just shrug off though, all right? Uh, Here's another thing. (laughs) This is funny. Uh, As I think about like public speaking, a lot of people have the fear of public speaking, right? And I heard once upon a time that there's two types of people in this world. There's the people that are afraid of public speaking, and then there's the people who... When they're public speaking, everyone else is afraid of what they're going to say, right? I feel like I'm probably one of the latter folks, right? Um, But seriously now, what are some of your fears? Um, You don't have to shout them out loud. In fact, I'm afraid of where that would go. Um, But seriously, consider in your own mind's eye, what are the things you're afraid of? Here's a list of some things that um, I think we might be afraid of. We're afraid of snakes and spiders and other insects. Um, we're afraid of airplanes, and nowadays we're afraid of just going to the airport. Um, uh, we're afraid of driving, and uh, some of us are afraid of our teenagers driving. Um, we're afraid of losing a loved one. We're afraid of something bad happening to our kids or something bad happening to our parents. Um, we're afraid of cancer. We're afraid of getting injured um, or hurt. Um, we're afraid of running out of money. Um, We're afraid of something happening to our spouse, and some of us are afraid of never finding a spouse. Some of us are afraid of never really achieving success. Some of us are afraid of living a meaningless life. 
Um, and some of us are afraid that when our life is over, we're going to be completely forgotten. Um, guys, we've all got fears. So I went and found this pyramid of fears that I think will help us to kind of categorize some of the fears that we have. Um, it starts off with extinction or the, the fear of like being extinct or dead. Um, then mutilation, which is the idea of, of some sort of harm coming to your very body, some sort of irreparable harm. And then it moves up the ladder to losing autonomy, which is like fear of losing control, um, separation, being separated from things or people, um, and then losing face, which is like your ego taking a hit, right? Um, now, this pyramid is useful uh, because as we look at like the bottom levels, we see uh, the more basic foundational kind of primitive fears in our life. Like I said, extinction is the fear of dying, um, like being afraid of falling to your death or uh, being afraid of drowning, mutilation. I said that's like uh, being being afraid of, I don't know, for me, it's like sticking my hand in the garbage disposal. Like, that freaks me out, like I'm going to lose a finger, um, and then I can't play the guitar anymore, right? Um, But these basic fears, they're more or less rational. Like, you should be afraid of falling to your death if you're, whatever, walking 30 feet up in the air. But they're best combated with solid, logical information, right? Like, I don't need to be afraid of falling to my death if I've got, like, a harness on, right? Or I don't need to be afraid of losing a finger in my garbage disposal if I just go and and flip the breaker to my garbage disposal and then there's no electricity going to it, right? With solid information, we can combat um, these fears here near the bottom. But when we get to the higher levels of the fear pyramid, or as I like to call it, the pyramid, um, yes, I trademarked that, um, we we see that it's more difficult to really quantify these upper fears, right? Um, And if it's more difficult to quantify them, it's more difficult to face them. Like, speaking of losing autonomy, this is one of my daughter's fears. How do I convince her that it's okay to submit to my authority, right? You can just eat your dang vegetables, right? I have what's best in mind for you. But no, she's afraid of losing her autonomy. Or like, um, how do you work past the fear of being separated from the ones you love when, in all reality, death will separate us from the ones we love? Um, are you guys starting to see the dilemma I'm presenting? Like, as you get to these upper levels, um, it's much more difficult to face our fears uh, than we realize, especially our higher level fears. Like, we fear losing face. We fear, like, our ego taking a hit in front of others. And so that's why, if we're afraid of losing face, we won't ever share our faith publicly, right? Or we fear being separated from our tribe or being alienated from the, the crowd that we want to be associated with. So we compromise, Right? We compromise and we do things that we end up regretting out of peer pressure. Um, you know, I see the, this fear of losing autonomy. I see that happen um, with older folks all the time and that, um, the, that we're afraid of giving away any of our money, right? Because we need that money for our own financial security. So we can't, we, we hold a, a tight grip on everything we earn, right? Because that's our, that's our security, that's our autonomy, that's our control. Guys, here's the thing is you got to recognize our fears are going to wreck us if we let them go unchecked, if we're not careful in our approach to handling them. So I need you to see, I need to establish this at the very beginning of my message today, that fear matters, all right? Our fears matter. Our fears drive us. They keep us from the good things God has planned for us. And our fears will take us to the grave, all the while regretting the mediocre life we lived if we just let our fears rule us unchecked. 
So let me spell you this out for you guys with some stories. I've got some people um, that I see around me and my, and my family and friends, and I just want to tell you some of their stories with fear. I've got one guy uh, I know. He's got a huge fear of flying, um, an, older, an older friend of mine. We're just going to call him Rob. Uh, Rob is finally retired, and he's got a big family with lots of kids and lots of grandkids, and what's to boot? He saved well throughout his life, so he's got money to travel, but he's afraid of trip flying. You see how that works? So he spends all of his time, all the time that he could be vacationing with his family, all the time that he could be flying out to seeing his family, he spends all that time driving himself around um, in his vehicle because he's missing out on everything that's outside of driving distance for him. His fear of falling to his death from the skies, it's actually causing him to like, whatever, fall out of relationship with his family. Um, and I've got this other guy in my family, um, He's, uh, he's afraid of losing his autonomy. He's afraid of not being in control of his own life. And we're going to call him Russ. Uh, Russ is so afraid of not being in control that he refuses to spend any of the money that he's earned throughout his life. Um, and he, he, the only thing he spends his money on are things that give him more security. And Russ, i got to tell you, this dude is loaded. He could experience some serious joy if he just got serious about blessing others. But Russ is afraid of losing his financial security, so he just keeps buying property um, and guns and ammunition, and he keeps putting money into the bank, and he never experiences the joys of being generous and hospitable. And investing in this earth to make it look a little bit more like heaven. Russ's fear of losing his autonomy means he's losing out on joy. And lastly, I know this one girl. Um, we'll call her Randy. She's got this fear of losing face. All right. Um, she's going to do anything to protect her reputation. So like she automatically like recoils. You can see a visible recoil um, towards any sort of risk that she would have to take that, that might have the potential of affecting her reputation or the way she looks in front of others. She's so afraid of losing face that she never has shown her true face to anyone. She wants to share her faith too, and she's brilliant with her words. I know her. She's so good with her words. She could really change the world if she just took a few more risks, all right, and put herself out there. But here's the thing she's going to watch all of her friends go to hell without saying a single word. Because she's just so afraid that people are going to judge her by her, the words that she says. She's afraid people will reject her or that they'll think less of her because she thinks much of Christ. Her fears are keeping her from experiencing joy. The joy that could come from leading our friends to Christ. So, what do we do about fear? What do we do? How, how do we overcome its tyranny in our life? Well, here's the thing. The world tells you, um, like, well, just face your fears. Thanks. All right. That's one thing the world tells you. But another thing is that the world would say, uh, go out and identify. You need to notice and name your fear. And then once you've identified your fear, you can find information, systems, and create enough checks to overcome it. But sadly, like this, this does not work. The world's solution to our fear does not work. Let me give you an example uh, of uh, showing you, that shows you how uh, having more information or controlling more variables won't help you drive out your fears, all right? The example I want to give you is that of my daughter. Uh, she is so afraid uh, of drowning in the pool, all right? And she just refuses to jump into the pool. And even if I put... Uh, like 28-time uh, Olympic medalist Michael Phelps in front of her. Even if I told her and I persuaded her, like, hey, um, this is the best swimmer you're ever going to meet in your life, honey. All right? Um, and I could even show you all the ways in which he's trained and all the ways that he can keep you from drowning. There's no way she's going to jump into that pool. Right? Um, there's no way 
That when she sees his outstretched arms, she's like, oh yeah, I can. No. The thing is, is because of this, she's never going to know the true joy of jumping into the pool and shouting cannonball and soaking her mother, right? Um, Because of this, she's never going to experience her fears are going to keep her from experiencing that sensory rush that comes from jumping into the pool right as soon as the lifeguard blows their whistle for adult swim, right? She's going to miss out on life because of her fear. And there's no amount of convincing, no proofs of Michael Phelps' ability, all right? There's no thing that's going to get her into that pool. But you know what will get her into that pool? Do you know what will help her overcome her fear of drowning so that she can actually experience life and joy and and just the sheer exhilaration that comes from jumping into a cool pool on a hot summer's day? It's not Michael Phelps' arms. It's my arms. Her daddy's arms. Me, right? Like, Lord knows I can't swim like Michael Phelps. Uh, Lord knows I can't even really float. Um, don't tell my, my swim teachers. And, and Lord knows that I don't look at all like Michael Phelps, especially when I take my shirt off. But here's the deal. I look just like someone my daughter knows and trusts. I look like the person that's thrown her a million times in the air and caught her with my arms, right? And she knows that I'm never, ever going to let anything ever happen to her because I'm her daddy. And she knows these arms. So friends, you need to hear me now. That it was for this reason that Christ came into this world. He came to connect us to the loving arms of our Heavenly Father. In obedience to God, Jesus came down to earth and he took on flesh to show us how to live. The death he died on the cross was the payment necessary to reconnect us to the Heavenly Father. And he died so that we might live unafraid. Because we know whose arms are stretched wide to catch us when we fall right? We know that the loving arms of our Heavenly Father are there for us, and we see those arms reflected in the outstretched arms of Jesus Christ on the cross. The loving arms of our Heavenly Father are reflected in the outstretched arms of Jesus Christ on the cross, and this right here, this is our refuge from all the fears we face in our daily realities, and I just want to think back to some of the things now that Jesus said while he was on this earth about fear. Um, Here's one of my favorites from Matthew 10. Jesus says, Do not be afraid of them, for there's nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. For what I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim it from the rooftops. Do not be afraid. That's the second time he said it in two verses. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them, not one sparrow will fall to the ground outside of your father's care and even the very hairs of your head are numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more and many sparrows. Guys, three uh, times in six short verses, from Matthew 26 to 31, um, uh, Matthew 10, verses 26 to 31, we've got it three times there, in six verses, of Jesus is saying, don't be afraid. And he assures us here of our eternal value to our Heavenly Father. We're precious children that Jesus will die to save. Um, another example of Christ that I think about when he talks about fear is, um, cast your mind there with me right now, Christ on the sea, right? What did he say to the waves? What did he say to his disciples as they were fearing for their very lives? He said, peace, be still. And then the wind died down and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid? You still have no faith? 
Like, guys, why are you so afraid? I'm on the boat here with you. Jesus is near, so why should they fear? When Jesus is near, we truly have nothing to fear. And that brings me to my first point for the day. When Jesus is near, there's nothing to fear. Amen. I, uh, I think about my daughter. Sorry, I'm going to use my daughters a lot today in my message. But I think about my daughters, and every night they go to bed, um, we, they're kind of afraid of the dark. So what do we tell them? We say, uh, light be, darkness flee, Jesus lives inside of me. And, and we encourage them to repeat that. Light be, darkness flee, Jesus lives inside of me. I could tell them to repeat this. When Jesus is near, there's nothing to fear. Um, the very last thing I'm telling you every single night um, when I walk out of my daughter's room, my wife and I, we always say the exact same thing. We say, good night, love you. And the last thing we say is Jesus is always with you. Jesus is always near. You got nothing to be afraid because when Jesus is near, there's nothing to fear. And notice that I said there's no thing to fear. I didn't say there was no one to fear. The disciples, they were terrified when they saw their rabbi calm the very forces of nature with a word. And that's an appropriate response. Like, you should be afraid of a guy who can calm a storm with a word. All right? But we shouldn't fear those who hurt our bodies. All right? Though we definitely ought to fear the one who can destroy both our body and soul in hell. Um, the fear of the Lord. It's the beginning of wisdom. But for those that fear God and those that believe in his son, when Jesus is near, truly there is nothing to fear. When Jesus is near, there's nothing to fear. And I just want to give you a disclaimer now, um, especially for those of you who are new. Um, near the end of my time today, I'm going to give you all an invitation. Um, I'm going to ask you if you've ever invited Jesus to draw near to you. All right, I'm going to ask you if you've ever drawn yourself near to Christ. And I'm going to give you a prayer to pray, um, something that uh, you can use to invite Christ into the midst of your fears as you draw near to him. And I'm going to do this for one reason. I just, I got to testify here for a second. Like, Guys, drawing near to Jesus in the midst of my fears, in the midst of my crisis, it changed my life. Jesus being near and dear to me is the only thing that's seen me through the darkest nights of soul when I thought fear and depression and anxiety were going to keep me in bed all day for days on end. And it was Jesus' his words that comforted me, his last words on this earth. Um, that he said, he, uh, these were the words that gave me peace in the midst of this fear that was overwhelming me. I just want to look at these words now for a second. Um, these come from Matthew chapter 28. So a lot of you, you know the great commission that comes before this, where Jesus uh, commissions his disciples to go out into all the world and to tell people about him. But right after that, right after he gives them their parting orders, all right, he gives them a promise. He says, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Surely I'm with you always till the very end of the age. Knowing that Christ is always with me is what gives me peace. All right? And I have a feeling. I just, this isn't necessarily exegetical at all, but I just have this feeling that Christ knew that we would need this promise. He knew that we would need this assurance because his presence is the thing that calms our every fear. His very presence being near to us. That's what calms our fear. I'm going to say it again. His presence in our souls is what calms our every fear. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid. But he gives us power, love, and self-discipline. The spirit God gives us makes us fearless. 
God's spirit inside of us is what drives out fear and gives us the ability to face our fears with grace and love and a peace that transcends understanding. Jesus promises us his very presence, not just for today, but for every day and always to the very end of the age. And this presence, the spirit that God gives us, it's not a spirit of fear or timidity, but it's a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. So what does this actually look like? What does it actually look like when Jesus encounters you in the midst of your fears and in the midst of crisis? Um, I know I've kind of just spoken in some spiritual platitudes up to this moment, but right now I really want to dive into the text um, that I, we read at the beginning of our time today. Um, and here's the deal. Like, if you kind of zoned out, now's the moment to pay attention. Now's the moment to sit up and listen up. Um, because in this text, what you're going to see you're going to see a guy that writes frankly about how rough he's had it lately. And he's going to talk about how he's seen God come through in the clutch. He's going to get real about how God met him in the middle of his fears. And I think this passage that I want to share with you, it's incredibly practical. More than just being whatever spiritual and inspired by God and inerrant and all those things. This is practical right here. Guys, if you look at it this way, if you look at this next passage that I'm going to share with you, if you look at it as just a guy who's writing a letter to his friends to tell them how God met him in the midst of crisis, this has, this has practical applications for every single one of us. Verse 8. Paul's writing and he says, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. And, and if you don't know this, this is the Apostle Paul who wrote about half the New Testament. And he's just writing to a church that he planted back in Greece. And you can see he starts by just acknowledging how rough it's been. Like, I don't want you to be uninformed. It's been rough lately. He doesn't want his friends to be uninformed. And this should clue you into something. This should clue you in that, that you shouldn't keep your friends in the dark about what you're going through, right? You shouldn't let your friends be uninformed about the troubles you're experiencing lately. What does Paul do? He simply opens up and he talks earnestly about his troubles. Ought we not do the same thing? Uh, and, and so here's maybe whatever your takeaway for the day, all right? Um, I've only gotten one verse in, and maybe here's your takeaway, that you too need to find a group that you can be honest, some brothers and sisters that you can be honest with about the troubles you've experienced lately. May I suggest, um, if you're here in Colorado, uh, find yourself a D3 group uh, to join. Or maybe, for those of you just within my earshot right now, maybe instead of just running off to the mountains this afternoon, maybe you need to stay after church a little bit today. And maybe you need to catch up with someone who's uninformed about your troubles. All right, And you need to inform them about what you're going through. Because that's what the church looks like. The church stands by each other. We pray for each other. We see Paul leaning on the church here. Can't we do the same thing? We were under great pressure. <coughs> far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired of life itself. Notice, guys, in the next verse, Paul doesn't sugarcoat it at all. He's under great pressure, far beyond his ability to endure, and he's afraid of losing his own life. He states it plainly that the troubles have just been too much for him to handle. And this is where I feel like I got to give you guys a false doctrine alert. Here at Bentry, uh, we love pointing out false doctrines. Um, I was joking around with Paul uh, in the last service that we need to come up with like some sort of like alarm or here, here, here's the false doctrine. People will say, God will never give you more than you can handle. How's that for a sound? Really, God will never give you more than you can handle. And yet he gave Paul more than he can handle. 
Far more, like beyond his ability to endure. Guys, at times, hear me loud and clear. God will give you more than you can handle. Guys, sometimes God is going to give you more than you can endure. More than you can stand up against on your own. There's this common belief out there that, oh no, God would never do that to you. And it simply isn't true. We see it right here, far beyond the ability to endure. And God does this for a reason. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But why? This happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but upon God who raises the dead. You feel like you've got a death sentence? Good. I know a God who can reverse it. Right? Guys, God gives us more than we can handle, so we'll rely on him. And you've got to see this. Paul, the apostle, was pushed far beyond his ability to endure. And why did God do this? So he wouldn't rely on himself. Paul had every reason to rely on himself. He's brilliant. He was a scholar, an academian, an entrepreneur. He could do it all, but he didn't rely on himself. He relied on God. And this means, friends, when I say that God's going to give you more than you can handle, this means that you can't get yourself out of whatever crisis you're in. Sorry, like... That's, not, that's the good news we preach here at Pentry Church, all right? We don't preach self-help. We preach God's help, okay? Um, and whatever fear you may be facing, Paul said he despaired of life itself. You've got to realize that the strong and mighty hand of God that's allowing these bad things to happen to you, that hand is the only hand that can save you. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril. To which all of Paul's audience would be saying, hey man, I'm so glad he delivered you. But notice his faith here. He will deliver us again. On him we've set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. As you help us by your prayers. Do you see the faith here? It's a faith that conquers fear. It's a belief that God's done it before and he's going to do it again and again and again and again. You guys remember me talking about my daughter jumping into the pool, right? Into my arms. Do you realize how many times that I've like thrown her? <laughs> I mean, every day when she comes to church, right? That's the first thing I do. Hey, Natalia, woo. And there's always some lady that's like, don't do that. And I'm like, I'm going to hit the ceiling. It's going to be awesome. Um, and Maya is now she's caught on to the same thing. And, and you got to realize that's not just a Sunday thing. Every day when I get home, uh, my daughters come out and they say, daddy, throw us to Pluto. Um, and so we start with like Mercury and then we go, you know, Venus and Earth and a couple other planets that I usually make up, right? But I always make sure I hit, well, I won't say the name of it, but I always make sure I say the one planet and then I get to, and then I get to Pluto and I'm chucking them in the air. That's nine times for each girl. And I've been doing that for three years, almost every single day. Time and time again, I will continue to deliver her, Right? Over and over again, she knows that the arms that caught her before will continue to catch her. The arms that brought her from her mother's womb. The ones that took her to her first day of school. These are the arms that are going to catch her when she jumps in the deep end. They're going to be the arms that someday deliver to her husband. And you've got to realize, this is, these are our Father's arms for us in heaven. They delivered us from our rightful death on the cross, and they're going to deliver us again. To end this passage, Paul comes back um, to the church, to the body that's been working alongside God to see him through this crisis. And many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. 
Do you guys see the partnership that Paul's praising God for? The partnership that comes from the church and God working together? Notice that God was the one that saved Paul from the troubles he's experiencing. And God did it by granting the prayer requests of the church. Friends, it's important that we pray together as a church, that we don't forsake meeting together, especially as some are in the habit of doing during summer. Because the church is absolutely critical to God's plan for delivering people in crisis. Again, I'm going to say that the church is absolutely critical to his plan for delivering people in crisis. When the church plays, prays, God moves. Maybe not always in our timing. Maybe not always in the way that we expect him to. But God moves when the church prays. I, I need to gather my thoughts and I'm going to say this really slowly. Um, I wasn't going to say anything about this. But I feel like I've got to say something in this moment. The prayers of his church are critical to God's plan for delivering people in crisis. And this week, on Friday, we saw the prayers of mi- <laughs> we saw the prayers of many answered to save the lives of the unborn. <laughs> the prayers of many, because this is how God. <laughs> Just stick to my script. This is how God saves the lives of those in crisis, right? And friends, I don't know where you stand on the issue of abortion, but I do know where God stands and he hates abortion, okay? God loves babies and God too, he loves women that have had abortions and the men that have abandoned their kids. But here's the thing, God hates abortion and this week he answered the prayers of many. I'm I'm sorry, I get choked up because I could have been aborted, you know? I was adopted, praise God, by my parents. Um, and I, and I just see a turning point. I just see, um, I'm not going to prophesy, don't worry. Um, but what I see is I see God answering the prayers of his church. And friends, this is how God moves. Prayer is how he redeems a lost world and prayer is how the kingdom comes. Okay. Um, let's come back to our passage now. Um, where does this passage meet us? in our fear, and our personal crises? What's the bottom line truth that you need to walk away with today? Where does God meet us in the middle of fear and crisis? Perfect love casts out fear. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. That's 1 John 4.18. Guys, there is a truth that sets us free from fear, and it is this, that God is love. And perfect love drives out fear. God is perfect love. He's not the kind of love that comes with strings attached. He's not the kind of love that's based on your behavior. He saved you unconditionally, all right? His love is not a conditional kind of love that waits for you to shape up before he pours out his affection. God is perfect love. And he loved you that while you were still a sinner, he died to save you. And when you're in love with God, perfect love drives out the fear in your life. So you're stressed about school. Well, here's the thing. God gives you the A-plus his son earned with his perfect life on earth. Maybe you're afraid of the future. God's got your future in his hands, and his plans for you are better than anything you could ever come up with yourself. Maybe you're worried about your loved ones. Well, God's the only one that can save their souls, so you better pray with all your might that he does so, because there's nothing you can do to save them. Are you scared to look at your bank account? Maybe just looking at your bank account gives you fear. Well, here's the deal. God provides for the birds of the air and he dresses the lilies with beauty and splendor. How much more will he care for you? Maybe you're terrified 
of leading a meaningless life. I, I implore you, commit your life to him and join his kingdom's cause for his kingdom is the only one that will be left standing when this world comes to an end. Do you guys see what I'm driving at here? Guys, God is the only one that can drive out fear in your life. And you, if you don't let him drive out your fear, your fears will drive you. Fear debilitates and love liberates. That's my second point. That's my last point. Fear exist to debilitate you, to make you weak. But love will liberate you. Um, fear still, fear steals, kills, and destroys all the joy in your life and it saps you of all your spiritual strength. Fear will keep you from spiritual maturity. Fear will keep you from becoming the spiritual parent that you were made to be. And here's how it'll happen. Your fear of losing face in front of others, it's going to keep you from sharing your faith, right? It's going to keep you from taking the risk that God, God is calling you to take. Your fear is going to keep you from being vulnerable and transparent. And if you never get transparent, you're never going to be transformed by Christ. Your fear of losing face will keep you from being the wholehearted follower of Christ that he made you to be. Your fear is going to keep you from engaging wholly in worship. Your fear is going to keep you from engaging with God in the way that he wants to, to move you in the midst of the praises of his people. Your fears might keep you safe, but they're going to keep you from growing. And so that's why I've got to say that though fear debilitates, love liberates God's love, his perfect, unmatched, perfect love will set you free to enjoy the abundant life that he's called you to live. And Christian mentioned this. No one told me when I became a Christian, but I'm going to tell you guys right now. Being a Christian, becoming a Christian promises you a parachute. It doesn't promise you a non-turbulent ride. The plane is going down, guys. It's time to get your parachute on. And though the ride might be a little less comfortable because you've got a parachute on, you've got security and it's an eternal security in the arms of your loving father that liberate you from your fear. The life we are called to live as Christians is one of boldness and adventure and risk-taking for a king. Because think about it this way. You're literally playing with house money. When you're open-handed with your money, it's not yours anyway. It's God's money. You're playing with house money. Why not be a little bit more generous? And when you're falling more in love with God, your heavenly father, you'll find that you'll be moved past your fears. Because fears debilitate, but love is what's going to motivate and liberate you, all right? Fear makes you frail and distressed as you're stressed out about every little thing. But love, love moves you beyond the boring shores of spiritual boredom to the high seas of adventure with Christ. I really like that line in my sermon, I'm just going to say. <laughs> I just, I want a I church full of pirates, you know what I mean? All right, anyway, I'm going to... I are... <laughs> are not that kind of pirate. <laughs> I implore you now, though, church, let perfect love drive out all your fears and become the liberated Christian, a Christian set free from the tyranny of fear and stress and worry, and jump into the loving arms of your heavenly Father, the arms that we see reflected in the outstretched arms of Christ upon the cross. And so I told you that I'd be giving you an invitation near the end of our time together, and now it's here. Those of you who have followed Christ for 30 years and those of you who maybe just got it in the last 30 minutes, I want you all now to look at that last verse that I quoted, that first John verse, because there's a clause I left out at the very end. There's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear 
Because fear has to do with punishment. Fear has to do with punishment. And it is right for us to fear God. To be afraid of his righteous punishment coming down upon us for all the wrong things we have done. Friends, we are all sinners and we all ought to be afraid of falling into the hands of a righteous God. The punishment coming due for all of us is death. It's separation from everything good and godly in this world and it's eternity in hell. But there is good news for those that believe in Christ, those that trust him in the midst of crisis. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but to save the world through him. For whoever believes in him is not condemned. Everyone loves John 3.16. I hang on to John 3.18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever doesn't believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. I told you guys that in the midst of crisis, you have two options, fear or opportunity. And I'm telling you, you should be afraid of dying without knowing Christ. You should be. And actually, while I'm on that topic, Christians, you should be afraid of living your life without Christ. But here's the thing. Today we have an opportunity. We have an opportunity to reaffirm our trust in him, our belief in the one who died for our sins and was raised to life to invite us into living unafraid with him. So will you submit to his authority? Will you commit your life to him? You know the name to which you should commit your life and it is not your own. It is the name of God's one and only son, Jesus Christ. But if you don't stand for him, you stand condemned. So what will you choose? Will you choose fear in life and death? Or will you choose this opportunity that's being presented to you right now, this opportunity of eternal life with Christ, starting now as you jump into the loving arms of our Heavenly Father, these arms that we see reflected in the outstretched arms of Jesus Christ? Would you guys all pray with me now? God, you are perfect love. We believe it and we receive it. God, I pray right now that you would cast out all fear in our midst today. That as we commit our lives to you, that you would do what we know you can do. That you would make us into a people unafraid. I pray for everyone here. Those that have been Christians for 30 years and those that have heard the good news for the first time in these past 30 minutes. I pray that we would all commit ourselves to this opportunity that you give us in the midst of crisis. It's an opportunity to trust you, Heavenly Father. It's an opportunity to draw near to your Son and His Word. And it's an opportunity to let your love liberate us from the fear that debilitates us. We commit all of this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, to wrap things up today, um, I want to do something kind of special. Um, I, I want to invite all of you to stand. So let's go ahead and stand right now. Um, and I want to read this next psalm uh, together. And and as we read it, I want you to consider something. There is a strength in unity. There's a strength when the body of Christ stands together. Amen? I want to ask you to consider this. What would it look like if we all knew that, that as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, yes, we know that God is with us, but what if we knew that our brothers and sisters in Christ were with us as well? What if we knew 
that our church was walking right alongside us as God was alongside us in those moments. So that's why I want us to read this text together. Um, And here's the deal. I want you to read it aloud as well. And I want you to read it like you know you can encourage someone around you. All right? That if you get into it and if you read it, Um, loud enough that they'll hear you and they'll know that you're committed to standing next to them as well. All right? So here we go. It's Psalm 23. We're going to start in verse 1. And I encourage you guys, read it loud, read it proud, encourage those around you. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. One more prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you. Um, We pray now. That this body, we would encourage each other, we would pray for each other, that we would lift each other up as you lift us up, God. That we would also have the arms of of Christ to catch each other when we fall, God. That in this body, in this midst, God, that we would abide in you, you would abide in us, and you would do what only you can do. And that's change this world through the power of your word. We pray all these things in the matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Bentry Church. To get connected at Bentry and for more information, please visit BentryChurch.com.